The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. Welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, with rents rising, we meet the student who's decided to live in a camper van for the next four years as she can't afford Dublin rents. No need to feel disenchanted as we go behind the scenes to find out how to get your home noticed by Hollywood. And we look at bathroom accessories and ask if pink is the new grey. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent. Email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com and you'll find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and our podcasts on the Newstalk app powered by GoLoud. Now, I hope you have a nice cup of tea or coffee in front of you for the show this morning. For me at this hour, it's coffee and plenty of it. At home, I use a French press and sometimes grind my own beans. And if I sound a bit of a coffee snob, well, it's because I have to watch my caffeine level. So I'm only allowed a couple of cups a day. So I want to make them good ones. I also like a cup of only Earl Grey tea. But I find that I can only drink it out of a china cup. It definitely does not taste the same in porcelain and definitely not in cardboard. So I was interested to read an article online about the whole concept of afternoon tea, which began during the 1840s. It was an opportunity for women to gather together and was extremely fashionable until the end of that century. And I was surprised to learn in that that Ireland is the world's top tea drinking society and even though when and how we drink it has changed I want to know what is your favourite way to drink tea or coffee do you care if it's a paper cup do you have a favourite mug a favourite coffee cup do you save the best china for guests or do you have a matching tea set I'd love to know uh, because I'm so particular about it and if it's pretty send me along a picture too you can text us here at 53106 or email the home show at newstalk.com or pop it up on my twitter feed at Sinead underscore Ryan but that's got me thirsty again so why don't you pour another cup after the next hour you're very welcome along to the home show. Now, earlier in the year, I read a headline in the newspaper which said UCD student to live in a camper van due to unaffordable rent. It was a story about a young musician who decided to return to college and needed to live in a camper van because of the unaffordable rental situation in Dublin. Well, several months later, we thought we'd catch up with Connie Dawson, find out how she's getting on, where is she living? Uh, and I'm delighted to say that you join me in studio this morning. Connie, you're very welcome to The Home Show. Thank you very much, Nate. Now, uh, let me start by asking you, are you still in the camper van? I am still in oh, the camper van. Okay, so it worked out well. Let's go right back to the beginning. What made you consider one? So I was actually planning at the beginning of 2020 to go on tour all through Europe playing music. Um, I decided I'd convert a camper van and I'd take it and I wanted to drive to Italy and back. I was started on the conversion and then, of course, lockdown happened. Mm. So I kept going with the conversion in the hopes that everything would open up again. And as it became more and more apparent that travel was probably not going to be a great one for the next while... I started looking at alternatives and decided to go to university. And I've always wanted to go to university, but I have actually not been able to go in Dublin just because of the cost of it. And then I had this camper van 
all ready to go. So it was a bit of a no-brainer to take that and live in that. What kind of a musician are you? I play the harp. Right. The harp. I busk with the harp. So, okay, so I'm thinking of a camper van that isn't probably very accommodating for an instrument like a harp. Well, you see, I play a small harp. (laughs) I actually have two of them in there. Two of you? Yeah. So your plan was to use the camper van as a kind of a touring gig thing. Yeah. And when you decided to go back to college, you chose UCD. What what course uh, are you thinking of doing? I'm doing landscape architecture and UCD well, that, are the only one that offer it in Ireland. That's a bit of a left turn. Yep. I spent a lot of time outside and I really appreciated it. <laughs> so it seemed like a good choice. Fabulous. So the caravan then came about because A, you had it and mm. then you realised, look, I can dovetail these two things here because, you know, the rents in Dublin. Had you looked into the rents in Dublin? And and where are you from originally? I'm originally from Fermanagh, but I lived in Cork for six years. Okay. Um, I actually had to leave Cork because I couldn't afford to rent in Cork. Wow, okay. And I knew the rents were that much higher in Dublin, but I also had a friend that had recently moved to Dublin, so I had second-hand experience through her of Mm. trying to find Mm. a room. And honestly, even the lower end stuff was just way beyond what I think I'll be able to afford as a student. So what did you buy the camper van for, if I can ask you? The camper van was £1,300. Okay. And was the, what, what, what did you have to do with this? What condition was it in? It was a completely empty delivery van. It was absolutely a blank slate. It had nothing <laughs> in it. It's a plywood floor. That's it. <laughs> and did you have anybody advising you maybe this wasn't a great idea or <laughs> did you just no. say, look, I'm going to go at it? Do you have DIY experience? Have you lived in camper vans before? <laughs> did you have an expert to help you out with this empty shell of a van? <laughs> so funny story. No, I didn't know how to change a drill bit. Um, I knew nothing about DIY. I'd put up a shelf before and it was wonky. Uh, my dad is a builder and he did help me out with it, but I did all of the work myself um mostly just looking at youtube videos and other camper van conversions what would we do without youtube videos <laughs> <laughs> so how proficient have you become then tell me some of the things you you put into it um to make it habitable well i mean everything i i know an awful lot about insulation now i have like four different types of insulation in various bits of the van I put in my own electrical charging and lighting and heating system um, I installed a gas cooker from scratch that was good fun wow okay uh, that's not something you want to go wrong with no I got my dad to check that one but uh, it works perfectly I've been using it for a year and not a problem um, plumbing doesn't have plumbing right mm-hmm. okay so so that's a little bit of a drawback then how, how do you yes. manage Connie without Without indoor plumbing, as it were. <laughs> well, you see, when I originally envisioned the van, it was to tour through Europe. And in Europe, they have a lot of camper van stops and airs and, you they know. certainly do. Anyone who's bathrooms. been on their, their caravan mobile home holidays throughout France and Italy and Spain will, will know the facilities are fantastic. So it was, it was designed with that in mind, which meant that during lockdown, that becomes very difficult. Because even when I thought, oh, well, I can still use it in Ireland. Sure, there's always a pub open. And then the pubs weren't open for a year. Mm. Um, it's a case of planning carefully. Uh, you plan your rest stops. And I mean, I lived in a caravan when I was a kid. So I'm not unused to having 
a wash without a shower. That doesn't really bother me. Um, and I have water containers for drinking. But you do really have to get into the mindset of conserving water and you have to plan everything. So when you do need facilities, maybe mm. for a shower or maybe water to drink in or to wash in, um, to, to, uh, if the facilities aren't available to you immediately, do you, do you approach people or knock on doors or wait for the pubs to open or, or what way do you sort that out for yourself? I have so far not run into that issue. I, When I go on little trips, like when it's been open and I've been able to, I've gone on little trips to various towns and a lot of them have um, 24-hour public bathrooms, put coin in. And I spin round to friends on my route. So, you know, every like four or five days, I'll spin round to a friend and actually get a proper shower and wash my <laughs> hair. And um, There's a website called p.ie which has become quite popular over the lockdown. Oh, P. Okay, yeah, they list all of the um, all of the public bathrooms in Ireland. Okay. And there's one called Refill Ireland, which lists all of the places that you can go in with a water bottle and ask for a refill, but also things like public taps, which there are, but they are hard to find if yeah. you don't know where they are. Yeah, and that this is another thing that you find across the continent routinely mm. at rest stops or even on motorways at truck stops. You have facilities, you have bathrooms, you have um, get, get coffee, you can refill your bot water bottle. So uh, would you like to see more of that? Do you think mo more of us would take to the road in camper vans if there was the facilities there? I, I definitely think they would. There's a lot of infrastructure missing if... Ireland wants to actually get into like campervan tourism because there's also just really very limited mm. parking for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, public fountains are a necessity mm. and they're not anywhere. Now, it seems to me that there's a big difference between uh, being in a camper van in the lovely, lovely sunshine we had a few <laughs> weeks ago uh, and uh, in the middle of winter when things aren't so um, aren't so good. How did you find that difference? Okay, I have to be honest, I chickened out in January and I went into the house for a couple of months um, because if I didn't need to be in the van, there's no point in suffering unnecessarily. Yes, yeah. I was in there for October, November and December in one long stretch and it's cold. Um, I have a heater. The thing about the charging system is you have to drive it to charge the batteries. Right, so, so you're driving around like a like a kind of to build up the heat levels in it instead it, of being able to relax. Well, you you have to drive around to charge the battery, and the heater runs off the battery. So if I'm running the heater but not charging the battery, the battery mm. runs flat. Now it's mm. a leisure battery, and I can take it out and charge it, but it's very heavy and it's very awkward. So it was always designed to be constantly on the move. So having it parked stationary for a long time um, means that I can't run the heater effectively. Mm. So, yeah, it was it was a bit chilly. It does get cold. I can imagine. A woman got in touch with me after the interviews again, and she offered me her driveway to park on during term time. And she lives just around the corner from UCD, which Gosh. is wonderful. It's uncommonly nice of her. She has a very large driveway, and she's she's also a musician. So as one musician to another, she's like, we've got to help <laughs> she, each other out. She gets it. Okay. Um, but obviously, I don't want to be parking on her drive all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'll find other places you'll, to park. You'll hope to do it. All right. And how have you found the public in general when you've been parking up um, near homes or near housing estates or, you know, how do people approach your 
camper van. People don't realize it's a camper van most of the time. A lot of people think it's a horse box um, just because the shape of the window that I've put in it. And when I hop out of the back of it and there's someone happens to be walking past, I usually get a moment of shock and then they see my interior, which is very, very multicolored. And then they want to know everything about it. <laughs> and I've seen pictures of it. It is gorgeous inside and it's very multicolored and very eclectic and, and quite beautiful, actually. Uh, so so it looks really, really nice. I'll pop up um, a photograph of it on my Twitter feed, actually, after the show and people can have can have a look about it. OK, well, listen, I wish you the very best. How long are you going to be on the course for? Four years. Four years. <laughs> OK. And will you be playing the harp at any stage to, you know, maybe entertain the other rest of the people in the car park? Or uh, Well, I mean, you'll probably see me around Dublin City Centre at some point. I'll be busking all yeah. right. Well, if people do see Connie, please uh, support her and uh, that beautiful instrument, the harp. Connie Dawson, musician, student and camper van owner. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning on The Home Show. Thank you for having me. Now, listeners may remember that a couple of weeks ago I spoke about bringing my little six-year-old niece up to Enniskerry Village because it had been transformed into the set for the new Disney movie, Disenchanted. And it was lovely and everything had been taken over and all the shop fronts and all that. But it got me thinking about how filmmakers use ordinary homes as sets, uh, maybe for ads or films or things like that. Uh, and what is involved in that whole process and how can you get your house used for something like that? Uh, location managers are the people who look after uh, finding places for movies and ads. Uh, so we thought we'd have in studio an expert on this. And it's Stephen Davenport, who's head of the US Production and Partnerships at Screen Ireland. Very welcome to the home show, Stephen. How are you doing? How are you? Good, thank you. Now, um, how does the process work when a movie set or a director wants to find a particular location, an interior for, for that maybe they're not using a set for? So there's a there's a number of ways that it starts off. So and it all depends on the size of the show and the, and the scale of it. And as you as you're probably aware, from the disenchanted kind of scale of the big Hollywood blockbusters to the RTE or the 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 Screen Ireland Indigenous projects that we do over here in Ireland. So there's kind of a variety there. But more or less, they all start with the scriptwriter, which is the very first point. So if somebody can dream it up, that's the location that's going to be needed for the show. So it's not just these big fantasy kind of beautiful, uh, stunning castles that goes off. You see a lot of drama on TV and all of that has to be domestic houses. So they don't build the sets for that kind of type of show. They normally like to film them on location. So they could they so they so could start with a, a letter drop from the location manager. They'll pick a particular area where they want to film. Uh, and that could happen anywhere in Ireland. We've already got like a number of shows happening, you know, from, from Wicklow to Dublin. But you've got Smother down in Clare. You've got, mm. you know, normal people that was up in Sligo. We've uh, we've announced that Graeme Norton's uh, holding is going to be filmed in Cork this year. So there's quite a variety of places there as well. Anywhere across that. So it could be anywhere in Ireland and any type of house could fit the brief. It just depends what the script is. Right. So, I mean, we, we cover the beautiful house that was used in Smothered, uh, which is a fabulous B&B hanging out over the, the sea and all that. And it's absolutely amazing. But can ordinary homes be used for, for sets sometimes? I'm thinking it's probably a little bit cramped or maybe is it just a particular look they're going for in a lot of cases? You don't need something grand and stately. 
No, well, this is the. There's no one size fits all. That's the, that's the thing. Of course, the big stately houses do really well. Like a house like Kilruddery in Wicklow is constantly used. Mm-hmm. It's got the Wink Saga there, the new Netflix, the second season of the Netflix series there at the moment, and it's those kind of shows that are, are, are you know, are those big houses kind of, of course attract these big international productions of as well. But the, you know, the normal shows like I've worked on shows from the Clinic. I did Love Hate for five years, and we went into people's houses and we did you know, and that ranged from flats, apartments to houses in Castle Knock, which we you. Know, I don't know if you remember Nidge's house we were there for five years wow. going to the same house over and over again and Gosh. they were very accommodating and letting us in and they were great people and became part of the show as well so it just depends so it could be a, it could be a flat a small apartment they the bigger shows in international stuff or it could be looking for something quirky, you know, something that's something a little bit different, like the house in, in uh, Greystones that was used on Disenchanted, the pink house, as, mm, it, as it was mm. became known. Uh, but other houses like flats, apartments, you know, anything that you can see on the TV, is it can be used as well. So. Now, so if that's the case and you're a kind of recruited or your home is recruited to be used on something like this, what changes could a homeowner expect? Because it's not going to be perfect when you arrive in. Um, do you have to kind of vacate it, clear everything away? Will it be repainted or... or or what happens typically? Uh, so it, it also depends again on this on the type of show. Uh, you know, some of the big budget stuff might want to paint or might change, or commercials, for example, might have a particular color scheme or color palette they're trying to match, and they might want to paint the walls of your kitchen. You'll see many of the the kind of open plan style kitchens on lots of different ads from you know mm. at the moment, and so it, 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 so they could want to paint. They they hope to find a place that's going to suit the brief because they don't want to do too much because uh, it me, involves more kind of time at the house, more changing things, bringing in painters, but most. Mostly, the, most of the time they'll come in, change some of the furniture to suit the character. It could be like the the pictures on the wall or the small things, mm. uh, and give you the hand props for the for the character there. Uh, and that's usually the change. And then when that's all finished, they take away and put back your own furniture. Or if it is a paint, they'll come back and repaint your house. Okay, yep. right. So you get a bit of a doer upper <laughs> in the yeah. process as well. Now, of course, there's an awful lot of people involved in in making anything for screen. Uh, so, are, are you expected to feed the crew? Or do you have to hang around making pots of tea? All all the time or, or are you just out you go no, I, I it, it depends, right? And I would say it's not for the it's not for people who are very precious about their house and are not are, are, are freaked out of lots of people in their house because okay. you are looking at a minimum of thirty could be a hundred people in and around wow. your property. So Gosh. yeah, so the way it kind of normally works is the, 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 the you might find a letter coming in from a location manager. We'd always recommend checking that with the guilds. You know the the guild the locations guild of Ireland have a great website. You can see all the location managers and location people who work in the, in, in in the guild on on, on the website there, uh, and then you to check their credentials and stuff and then so when the letter comes in if you're if you're interested in it the location manager will come over take some pictures he'll show he'll show a number of houses that may have uh, been on offer mm-hmm. show them to the director and the designer they'll come over and have a look of the ones they like and then if they like that then it becomes the tech recce where the cameraman the electrician and all the other guys come along to have a look uh, see if it's suitable see if it all works then, they, then they'll negotiate a time and a, and a, a rate with you and it all depends on how long or how much disruption is going to cause for you okay. uh, and then they'll do a contract location manager will walk you through all of this process they'll be mm. your kind of link to the production and the production's linked to you so they'll work all that out okay with you. now one of the things you mentioned there of course was the was the fee and people can expect to be paid for the disruption maybe that it's going to cost maybe they have to leave the house and stay in a hotel or something how much typically would somebody an ordinary homeowner make from having their house used as a as a 
location. So there's no set fee, right? It will depend on one, the size or the scale of the production, the level of the disruption. That's really the big kind of key. It, it could be there for a couple of hours. It could be an ad, you know, that's filming on a street in a number of houses. They might even be there for two or three hours, you know, and then you're looking at a couple of hundred euros, you know, that kind of, that kind of level. Or it could be just outside a house. They're doing a scene in a car with the house in the background. Something small like that isn't going to be very lucrative, let's put it that way. You'd see that sometimes yeah. on ads, wouldn't yeah. you? Just kind of as if the actor, this is the actor's home or they're driving down this road or, or something like that. Yeah, so something small like that wouldn't be causing that much disruption. You could be in the house then. They don't need to come inside. They kind of, you know, so there's not really that, you know, kind of level. And it's the novel, you know, it's the kind of thing of having somebody there and it's still, you know, you'll still get paid a little bit, but it won't be huge. But if they were to come in and a number of the houses that we've taken over and some of the bigger productions, we might need somebody to leave the house for three weeks. Mm. And then you're looking at that's a much more different, uh, a different scenario. You know, if you've got to put them up, how does that work? And it's a little bit more, you know, negotiations, how something like that could work. And, you know, okay. uh, yeah, so it's different. Yeah. So if somebody was interested in going down that road and they think they've something special to offer and their house is a little bit different, is there somewhere that you can register your house or, or express your interest in that? Yeah, so uh, normally the, as if the letter drop comes in, that's the first place to do as well. But if you're interested in doing this and kind of more, and a lot of location managers will use the same places or reuse things over the number of years. But we have a website in Screen Ireland, so you can log in www.screenireland.ie, go to the filming section, which is our section for the the inward production department, and you can there's a there's a gallery there has all locations all over Ireland. I think we've about twenty thousand images on it at the moment, wow, okay. and that could be anything from the you know the cliffs of Moher to beautiful historic castles, stately homes, and domestic and private houses so you can register right. your property there uh, the, there's instructions on how to take the pictures and how not to take the pictures because we, okay. we don't want people in them you know we want to keep the, it's a very wide shot of the room keep it general don't identify the house in any ways like don't show the big the, the front door the numbers or, or the address okay. that kind of stuff we keep that anonymous for security reasons, for security yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, we will check the photographs before they come in and then we'll, we'll upload it to the site there and okay. location and managers or producers can, and, can browse, and scroll yeah. through that so like the Airbnb for films yeah, very uh, similar. So, uh, d- and finally then Stephen do the home owners ever get to be extras on any of the productions? Uh, I would think I think everyone on Love Hate wanted to be an extra more or less at some <laughs> stage and it depends of course but you've got you're, you have that connection to the show and I think that's what's you know you you know with them and I think I think most of the family who, who were Ninja's house I think they all got at parts at one stage <laughs> or another uh, but they became part of the family on the show yeah. but I think of course you, you, the location manager will put you in touch with the locations uh, or their extras coordinator and that's the person who they yeah. take your photograph and they can see if they can do that now there is other there is uh, other organisations that you can join if you want to be the extra as well but there is if okay. you've got the film at your house you have a little bit more leeway now probably not for the scenes in your house but for something else in the show somewhere okay. else Yeah, good to know Stephen Davenport Head of US Production Partnerships at Screen Ireland thanks for joining us this morning on The Home Show thank you The Home Show with Colour Trend bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint this is News Talk Why am I laughing? Oh, God bless you if you have to I listen. Don't know. It's, yeah. it's like coming home if yeah. you come into the studio Thanks here. Very much. Uh, now, tell me, Roisin, uh, how is your home building going? Okay, two very interesting things this week. The gutters came in, so I'm watching water all day, every day. I'm going out. I had it back twice to adjust it, so there's a perfect pour. I am, and I think they actually appreciated the fact that I love it so much. But more interestingly, okay, as we all know, the doors are delayed. Right. And I ended up, but that is because they're waiting for these extra long uh, hinge. I have a special locking system because the doors are going to be 2.7 metres high or something. So I have to get a special locking thing so they open top and bottom. So they're waiting for those to be delivered and they have to be delivered in a particular material because I have the new wood, the Akoya wood doors. Now, Akoya wood is a genetically 
I'm not sure it's not genetically, but it's a modified wood that has very little uh, movement in it. It is okay. engineered. It is a, in human's invention, but it, dis- it, it excretes an acid which you can't put an ordinary screw into or it will dissolve the screw. So you have to have marine grade stainless steel screws in it. Anything you put onto it has to be like stainless steel. Read the holy. You don't, I was make, thing, you don't make life easy for yourself. You wouldn't go, go to Ikea and just get a couple of doors. They don't do doors in up. Ikea, just to say. Word, word to Ikea, do doors. No, it's very interesting though because it is an engineered wood so it performs like steel. There's very little movement in it. But the fact that it produces, it's like an acid-like vinegar. So, right. And I had said my joiner loves wood he's a fellow who'd go to bed with a bit of wood right no joking you're feeling it up going oh I love the wood I love the grain anytime you paint wood he cries a little right so I was looking at the image of this it's got a kind of smoky grain and I was going that's a lovely grain I might do that all the trends grey and he's going it's a dirty a dirty grain I'm going only only joiner would say something like that to you <laughs> but there is apparently this wood was also used on grand designs as a cladding so I kind of was thinking but I can't push him I'll push him so far with the 2.7 metre high but he says a dirty grain <coughs> right, a dirty grain. Okay, <laughs> that's probably more about doors and wood that I ever wanted to know. Anyway, you'll, you'll want now, to know if they fall off their hinges. What did she say? What did she say about the acquire wood? Right now, often on this show, uh, you haven't been happy with it, but often on the show mm. we have been talking about grey, and we've had grey gate, and we've had all that. Yeah. But actually, there is a new colour of the season, which seems I am seeing it everywhere. And it's uh, millennium pink or uh, what they were sulking room pink or blush pink. Yep, it's on the way in and it's never. But it's I've got news for you. It's not new. It is a classic neutral. Pink is the new neutral. Pink, pink, pink. I okay. am seeing pink everywhere, Roisin, at the moment. I'm seeing this yeah. baby kind of pimp pink yeah. in, in cushion covers and in yeah. throws. I'm seeing fuchsia pops. We are, yeah. I'm seeing neon. Um, it, it's an acquired taste. No. Okay. I'm going to say to you, I've been using pink, I would say, uh, since I first became an interior designer. And it is more than just an acquired taste. You're right. Yes, it's an acquired taste, but it's absolutely one of the most potently powerful colours in the last century. OK, now, and I, I've i used it because we did say one of the first, uh, the first gay bar in Dublin, the George was when I was an interior designer that was one of the jobs we all worked on it, and we worked on a, th- a shop called Aware, which used to have a pink triangle on I it I remember it well okay right and I never fully understood that there was a, it, it was a very powerful statement at the time because it was about uh, gay rights and I didn't really understand the history but I've always included pink as a result I have always felt it's a very powerful statement about um, being different, oddly enough. But I know that it's now been acquired as this baby pink for girls, blue for boys. But when we were talking, you asked me today to look at it. I looked at the history of it. And apparently, which is really, really sad, they, and I, it explains why, why it was so powerful in Aware all those years ago and it was kept for so long as a symbol over the shop. The pink triangle was something that they used. Uh, Hitler introduced pink, a pink triangle to identify gay people. And they were particularly, uh, they were particularly vilified and and, and given a rough treatment right. in the concentration camp. So you had the you had uh, and they if you had a worse still if you had a yellow triangle and a pink triangle. So it's a very powerful statement um, that that was kept. Okay, in post war, pink became identified with after the introduction of sort of um, kind of white goods. An American fridge freezer company produced a range of baby pink luxury uh, fridges, freezers and washing machines and then it became adopted as a pink for girls and blue for boys 
there was also a bit of research done with the bias. The scientists decided pink made you kind of passive. Pink was feminine. All things kind of negative, if you know what I mean. The pink was this sort of like, oh, you're all like kind a wishy-washy, of, wishy-washy, kind of like we're all very all feminine yeah. and all gentle f- color. And all that women also have to be these kind of like gentle creatures, mm. you know. Which in a way it's nice, but it's also not nice because it means that you can't you can't be powerful as a woman. Okay, so they decided they did all this research and said if you hold your arms out, if you're wearing pink or seeing pink, that you won't be able to hold these weights up as long as possible okay right really bad stuff so <laughs> so if but then some guy uh, decided he would paint the incarceration rooms in prisons in America with this Baker Miller pink which was a famous okay. Miller the to pink. kind of calm them down calm the inmates oh, down right and then worse still it was adopted by a American uh, in the 80s an American football club decided they would paint the opposition's changing room pink as a way of annoying them so I was like going, I suddenly realised, you know what, like... It's been used as a as a colour of oppression. It's a colour of oppression. Now, Who knew? I didn't really know, because I've always known that, and I paint, as you know, I'm always saying that I painted uh, this football club pink and was driven around in a car, basically, and told you have to take the pink out. It was a tiny, soft this pink. This was a GAA clubhouse. No, 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 soccer club. Now, in fairness, not by home farm, right? They were kind of good. They, because if you're very confident in yourself, you don't look at colour in terms mm. of oppression or gender you know you're you know there is no color there's only just the color but i realized then that blue if you think about say the virgin mary sorry about this we're going right across the gambit here today but she's dressed historically in blue mm. now if pink was a gender color surely she'd be in a nice pink uh, little robe mm. but the fact is that blue was the color that was associated with mystic power and powerfulness because blue is an extremely difficult pigment to produce in nature Right, okay. of course, yeah. And and of course, there's very few blue foods and it has to be manufactured exactly, artificially Sinead. nearly. Exactly. Okay. So you're looking at that. So in a way, then the millennial pink and, and, and pink has become it as a kind of symbol actually of strength in femininity and strength in opposition. Pink is that colour. And of course, we see it now as even as, as the little bow, the little logo for breast cancer. Yes. You know, that kind of light, yeah. uh, uh, kind of soft pink. Yeah. But when it comes to home decor, uh, we're seeing far more vibrant colours. I mean, you've shocking pink and neon pink and and kind of um, fuchsia or dark pinks. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you about somebody's, uh, I don't know, personality if they use that? Well, I think it's, I like pink because I think it means if you walk into it, because it is that symbol and your unconscious bias is to be left foot forward and going, you know what, a little bit of pink. You know, it's been so minimalist, so grey, but that shock, and now it does go a grey, which makes it a very easy colour to introduce into a house. But it, you know yeah. what I mean, as an antidote to the grey. But it is a beautiful pop, an absolute pop. And it's also, I think, especially say in a male-dominated environment, it's it's a very, or macho environment, it's very nice to kind of be the kind of little flash of pink in a home that sort of says there's a bit of balance here because traditionally there's an awful lot of very masculine colours in architecture. There, you know, apart from the insides of churches, you don't see an awful lot of decoration no, in the last hundred years. you certainly don't. So you don't see... But and it's very, it's very... Oh, I think it's much more modern and I'm fascinated by, by you saying that kind of girl-boy thing yeah. was only very recently. Only recent. And it's only recently that we're seeing colour pops using pink because up to now it was used like just children's nurseries. And only since the 50s, only yeah, since Hitler yeah. introduced it. And he sort of put the gender on us. That's all I'd say. That man put the gender on us. Well, but also what's really sad is that gendered, the powerful propaganda of colour. 
there's so much about that piece that I think we need to do more on the psychology of colour. We, we definitely need to look at it again in, in the future. I am speaking, of course, with Roisin Murphy, our resident designer and architect here on the Home Show on News Talk. Uh, and when when I was thinking of pink during the week and all the place that pink is used, apart from nurseries, uh, to me, it's a bathroom colour. Uh, now, I'm not talking about right now, but certainly when I was growing up, it was the colour of bath mats and <laughs> toilet cover seats yeah. and actually toilets themselves. My aunt in Limerick has a phenomenally pink bathroom. Oh, lucky it's her. gorgeous. Yeah. And as kids going to visit her, we loved, loved it, it because it was just fabulous. Um, so, and I was asking earlier on the show for people to uh, tell us about their childhood bathroom, the house they grew up in and whether or not they had bath mats and covers and so the avocado, avocado. came out, the pink yeah. is coming out. So, talk to me a little bit about, uh, like, I, you know these matchy matchy sets about the furry little uh, carpet, the furry little uh, your profile the pedestal rug. <laughs> That we know we're talked about. Yes, I didn't yeah. even know the name for it. <laughs> I, it is that, that it's like it's like a mustache from the seventies. Like you know the way you had the uncle with the mustache, or maybe the aunt. But anyway, we now are the bath mat is not gone. I'm sorry, it's not gone. And I found it fascinating. Is I've it not? Oh, no, it's not gone. I mean, it's you know, you can still get them on Amazon. Let's be honest, you won't find it in the in the in the clearance sale anywhere, even in, in Brown Thomas. You don't find toilets, the profile pedestal one. But you do find bath mats. Bath mats are an incredibly important well, that's accessory okay, in the bathroom. Like nice kind of sizal or, or linen or something like that. But but I'm talking about the I know what accessories you're talking about. The which shag are pat. Are you talking about yeah. the, the shaggy mat that went around the toilet yes. and the furry lid? And around the yeah. sink, the bottom of the basin. Yes. Yeah. And then those accessories you'd have, like the loo roll. I don't know why it became embarrassing to not show loo rolls, but you'd have a, 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 a doll in a crochet yeah. dress is no less embarrassing <laughs> to me. I'm a bit fixated on toilet brushes, I have to say. Okay, it was okay. one of the first items I ever did on this show called Beyond the Hall Door. We had a studio challenge and one of the first ones was a bathroom. And I went straight off to Brown Thomas and bought myself. You were allowed to bring it. We didn't buy them. We borrowed them. Was a 100 euro toilet brush holder. <gasps> I, I know you wouldn't think it of me, would you? What I scandal? would. Yeah. I would exactly. Right. You're exactly okay. the person but I would think the of reason would buy a hundred euro toilet brush. Yeah. Holder. Well, they are, they still do them, but they also they have advanced light. But the idea is that the urine doesn't. It causes chrome to decay, so you have to be really careful. Sorry, it does though. I mean, let's be honest. The urea is very. It does erode away at enamels and stuff. So the more expensive ones, they are very well chromed. She's not looking pleased. She's literally got her arms folded. As I much as to to you to spent a hundred euros on a toilet roll holder. Anyway, but it's. She's Still, now she's still, I can't describe the face she's going. Anyway, the other thing you could do, which you could do, is get a wall mounted one. Now, I love a wall mounted loo brush holder because, yes, the, yes, I do too. And I have one of these, and um, it is helpful because it's at a, I don't know whether it's because it's at a certain level, it's not shuffling around the floor, yes. it, it doesn't create a it's ring clean. on the floor. Yeah, it's clean, it's clean. clean. And the other thing you can do is there is also these ones called Joseph Joseph. Now, these are widespread. But these are a silicon one. This okay. is the same crowd that make all the lovely kitchen essentials yes. and mats and yes. all that. Okay. So they do a very innovative uh, kind of slightly like a hairpin shaped handle so you can get in. You know the way you're kind of... In it, around the rim. In around the rim. Um, and then, it, but the silicone is very easy to wipe down. Everybody here in studio is ill today. But I'm telling you, it's a very important thing. But the other thing that's coming is the, is the power washer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wash hose it's a loo hose okay. so basically that's 
uh, wired into your water and that allows you to actually clean the toilet from a distance which is you know you just jet clean it like oh yes like a steam cleaner or something but and and most of the really innovative innovative toilets that are extremely expensive there's one in tile style I was going to bring it in as object of design one day but I couldn't because it's not happening I was going they were going to deliver it for you in the time of COVID (laughs) but basically it's a toilet really that has all of those functions in the rim it cleans you know you don't have to do anything but if you're like a poor pleb the big innovation has to be that you get a uh, the bristle ones now you know the eco ones they're from fairy.ie an Irish website supplied these uh, you know birch toilet toilet Mm -hmm. brushes but the thing about them that I like okay because initially you're kind of going oh god a bristle a hog hair thing they do you dispose them like how long do you keep your toilet brush? You see, this is the other thing because you do it. There's no point. I know you have hundred euros on a yeah. on a toilet brush, but actually you're going to be you, you then have to find yeah. the brush that you're going to change. You can't keep them that long. No, you I can't. Mean, it's it's six know, months is the, oh, is the longest six you have to. Okay. So the bristle one allows you to happily along with your toothbrush. But did Putin is the man to, to that it was most interesting. He became the toilet brush became a symbol of uh, rebellion uh, against uh, Vladimir Putin. What? Yeah. He had the most Are expensive. you just making this No, it's don't poo on Putin was the phrase. Poo not. That's true. <laughs> the toilet brush, right? He, Dictator in on the show palace, today. he had a, a toilet brush that was worth a grand, a gold toilet brush. And when people found out, they were like, whatever about Charlie's palace? Whatever. Proletarian Proletarian. <laughs> so they made, and you can get on Amazon, Putin toilet brushes, and toilet roll accessories called Poo on Putin. So, and you can also get them for Trump as well, I'm, or any I've dictator, or, of, or, or or political hero that you don't like. Because Trump famously got a golden toilet delivered to he him did, by because he, he was not yeah. kind to artists. He, you know, he was that kind of like artist really for the lefties. And he, uh, but yeah, don't poo on Putin, Sinead. <laughs> <clears throat> there are things I learn in the home show almost every week uh, and they're always from Roche <laughs> things I never knew before and sometimes things I never wanted to know folks okay, but, <laughs> but it is a really important issue like there are t- uh, thousands of toilet brushes go into landfill every year yes they do You're so right. yes, let's yes, go yes, with the birch one right. nobody okay. needs nobody right, needs give us the name of that website again which one? The birch The fairy.ie. Fairy. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, now, uh, every week on the moving swiftly along, every, if she's brought me in a toilet brush, I'll tell you what. I, I was so tempted. I was so tempted, Sinead. But you know what? Object of design. I, it is a surprise. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I never know what it is. Yeah. Uh, and I'm now worried about what it might be. So oh, okay. I'm going to give you a hint, right? This is, it's, it's, it's a bucket. It's a bucket. It is a bucket without a hole in it. Okay. Be careful. It's got something in oh, it. Oh, it's has got cuscus No, it's not. It's got sand. Large gobby sand. Okay, it has cous- it has cous- cous- well, the range. I- the sand got I go- didn't want to bring it in. And there's a spade. Why am I giving well, you that, Sinead? I have no idea. And it's this. a metal bucket and, this, and a little this. shovel. A little and, a little and a little long fork I'll tell you stem. why. Is this, for, t- is this for brushing sand no, or something? Kind of no. close. Go on. I'm I'm guessing. I've no <laughs> idea why you brought me in a bucket with couscous in it and a shovel. It should be sand, <laughs> listeners. Okay. It should be sand, but uh, my sand was filthy. And Sinead, you know what? I care about you. So I thought I don't want to bring a big dirty bucket because I know you do not like the dirt. I know that. No. Okay. Um neither do I actually. It is because the Hunt Museum in Limerick are launching the first ever sandcastle making competition. Ah, yes. And okay. it is and um it is coming on the twenty seventh, which is past, and to the sixth of August. So people can enter, you know, your children go down, artists can go down and you can make giant sand classes or whatever. 
But the other reason is there is a very famous Irish sandcastle, an international sandcastle sculptor. Away. Yes. Right. And he has okay. been famous and he made one in Dublin Castle in 2002 for sand. Oh, I remember. I think people will remember this. Yes. Because there was this phenomenal, I mean, for most of us, it's just, you know, a bucket and spade thing. But actually, these are sculptures. They're absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. It's that. Fergus Mulvaney, right? And he's been sculpting since 1993. Okay, so look him up, guys. Kind of he is sand sculpting. I like doing this while I'm and talking he said, to it, like, he came nice. is uh, um, he was one of hundreds of students who was drawn to participate in a sand festival, a sand festival, sand festival in Holland in 1993. But we are late to the party, right? Right. Now, all I'm going to say is, along with our fantastic results this week in the Olympics yes. and our rowing, yes. the island nation is finally figuring that we've water all around us. We'll row. But also we've sand everywhere. Yeah. We should be nailing this. This year, the Hunt Museum, I reckon, has started something that we could be like. And I love the fact that it is art that's public. It's you know that whole thing of bringing yes. sculpture. Ireland, we're bad on sculpture, and sculptors will tell you they struggle in Ireland. Right now, I'm just thinking Limerick, which I know, I know. and love well. I, I'm just not thinking a predominance of sand. <laughs> That, that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think about it. I have to say, it's, it, it isn't, especially in the Hunts Museum in Limerick City, but that doesn't mean it's not imported for competitions. There's even people oh, that I Florida, see. for instance, okay. has one of the premier grade sands for competitions and stuff like that. But oh, right. So the there's fa- types of sand. There is types oh, of sand right. they use, both, and they build carcasses underneath okay. it. But you definitely need to uh, Google this guy online. We should be very right. proud of him. But also you're kind of going, it's a okay. lovely way to introduce your kids to art. All right. Well, listen, if anybody out there has uh, pictures of sandcastles that they managed to construct this summer and maybe their children constructed on our staycations around the beaches of Ireland, I would absolutely love to see those. Yep. So do get them into us at thehomeshowatnewstalk.com or send them to me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan and uh, I will retweet some of those. And Roisin, where can people find more about you? Uh, Murphy Architect at Instagram dot at in, 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 on Instagram. On Instagram. I have no idea of Fantastic. what the Okay, well, you can tell. I'm actually in this very therapeutic place. It with is my very sand therapeutic. Here in the and it's also this little, you know, if you do a bonsai, that's where there are lots of sand, you know, for the Zen thing where they have yeah. their guards with the yeah, rocks. Yeah. The ultimate corporate desk toy. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Very, very interesting object of design and the Hunt Museum in Limerick is well worth a visit with or without sand. Uh, now, and that is all we have time for this week. So if you'd like to get involved in the show, have a question for me, a topic you'd like Roisin to research involving dictators and pink poo. <laughs> you never um, know where it's going to go. You now know how to do that. So you can get in touch with us on 53106 for 30 cent. Email us at thehomeshowwithnewstalk.com and you can find Roisin Murphy Architect on Instagram and uh, she will handle your queries there as well. <laughs> and don't forget to check out the of us on the Home Show podcast on the News Talk website. Thank you so much to my production team this week, Gareth Mulhall, JJ Clark and Stephen McLoon on Sound. Bobby Kerr's up next. He'll be taking to the seas as he looks at some of the country's top water activities. I'm going to play with my sand. Uh, we're both going to have a cup of coffee and we will see you all next week. Have a great weekend, folks. The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk.